Southside Podcast. Here so, we are. Yeah, here we go. Yep. But so are you doing well today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thanks. Well, here it is. Here it is. I am so I can't tell you how excited I am that this day is that this day has arrived. We're gonna go for this. I've got so many ideas and thoughts on uh, what we what we can do. I think there's a lot of potential for us. Yeah, there is, yeah. And I think it's great to like have these conversations and put some uh, put some human people in behind uh, the science of veterinary practice. And it's going to be a great opportunity for us to share some of the research and pull in some of the experts and have a conversation and you know allow people to actually access information maybe they wouldn't be able to otherwise get. But I'm especially excited about today. 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 Today's good because not only is this, you know, the balloon goes up for the first time, we get to get the insight of Dr. Tom Riddle, who is the reason that we're all here. So, so when we when we were, we're talking about who's going to be our first guest, who's the first one? There are really only two options, yep. right? Yep. There was, there was Bill Rude, Tom Riddle. Yep. That, that's basically the guy, it. The guy wrote a book. The guy right? wrote the book. Yeah. That's the tiebreaker. Yep. So you know. So so what what do you want him to talk about today? What do you think that you want to get out of out of Tom Riddle? Well, um, I've always found him to be a very approachable, very generous, very caring man. I want to hear a little bit of the story of Tom Riddle and what made him what he is and uh, what made him become an equine veterinarian. Um, I'd also like to ask him that, uh, you know, going into practice was such a big decision. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, when he met Bill Rude for the first time. And, and those two are so different. They are different. But totally different people. Totally different, but they're complementary, yeah. right? And yeah. you can sort of see that Dr. Rude is sort of the man behind the scenes that actually makes sure that the lifeblood of the practice, the money keeps flowing. And Dr. Riddle's just out there, just going through the mares and practicing at the highest level. But one question I do have is that when Dr. Riddle's eyes locked on Dr. Rude for the first time, was it true love? Oh, yeah. Did they know. know at the time that they'd have one of the most successful relationships in veterinary medicine? Yeah, because, you know, Tom has a, a one other successful relationship. That was his wife, Margaret. Yeah. yeah. An, interesting story that I'm sure we'll hear uh, about he, how the two of them met actually working on, on Spendthrift Farm. Yeah, together. yeah, that's right, and that's a great story. And you know, I think uh, um, Dr. Riddle's really lucky to have uh, Margaret oh, she's, she's by side. She's super she's nice woman, and it'd be good to get a little bit insight and in how that happened. And you know, just a little bit of the family story because yeah. they got three amazing children. And um, you know, he's just a model for how you can be successful in practice and live a good life and set an example. You know, for as long as I've known Tom Riddle, uh, uh, the word gentleman comes to mind, and I think he defines that if you could put somebody's picture next to the definition in the in the dictionary of, of gentlemen it would be it would be tom riddle yeah i think that's good and um uh, i've also heard that he's very meticulous very methodical and there are no wasted movements you know yes, you watch him is. working on a mare his mind is focused and there's not a single wasted movement i mean he could teach us all a lot about how to practice and that's a great thing about today because we get to pull the curtain back and get to sort of see the true Dr. Tom Riddle. That's right, and, and, and total focus on broodmares throughout his entire career. Yep. I'd be interested to see why he, why he picked that. Well, I, I'm ready. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So, yeah, let's get the ball rolling, and let's all get a little bit smarter let's, than we were. Let's bring him in. And now a special message from Stallside Podcast founder and co-host, Dr. Bart Barber. So why the podcast? Rudin Riddle Veterinary Pharmacy has a relatively small marketing budget, especially when you compare us with our competitors. I understand that marketing is important, but telling people that you exist and what you do and why your products or services are different is a must. But running ads in glossy magazines, hiring slick salespeople just doesn't represent who we are. So as I thought about how I wanted to use our marketing budget, I thought about what makes us unique. 
And I realized I wanted to give people something of real value. That's how the podcast idea evolved. I wanted to use the money we had set aside for marketing, not to tell people who we are, but rather to show them, to open up into who we are, how we do things, and give something of value at the same time. Content of this podcast is designed to do exactly that. It's not going to serve as a shameless plug for pharmacy products or services. We want you to know who we are, that quality is uncompromised, that we care about people and their animals. We want to build a relationship of trust. And when that trust exists, we invite you to visit us at rrvp.com or give us a call and we will give you our very best. If not, I truly hope you enjoy the show. Now, Dr. Morrissey and I are brand new at this. We're still very soft and malleable. If there are specific topics that you would like us to cover or guests that you would like to hear from, please email us at stallside at rrvp.com. For additional content, sign up for the newsletter at rrvp.com or email us at stallside at rrvp.com. Thank you for listening. Just one more note. Nothing that we talk about here today should be construed as veterinary advice. That's why you have a relationship with your own veterinarian. Thanks. Hey, Dr. Riddle, how are you feeling? Uh, great, great. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's absolutely our pleasure to have you here today. So um, we're all uh, very much in awe of your contributions to veterinary medicine, and we're all really glad that you uh, started a practice, which we've managed to get to work at. So um, we're all very happy that uh, the horse industry has the input of Rudin Riddle, and you are very much an integral part of that. Well, thank you for saying that. I only speak from the heart because it's true. Thank so you. you've recently wrote, uh, written a book, um, talks about your life and it talks about your decision to actually um, go into practice with Dr. Rude and make, and make uh, the Rude and Riddle that we know now. So let's start a little bit by talking about that. Um, you go into your uh, early formative years. Um, tell me about what first inspired you to become a veterinarian. Well, as a child and young adult, I thought I wanted to be a medical doctor. I wanted to work on people. But once I got off to college, I realized that being around sick or injured people really made me very uncomfortable. And plus, I really missed working with horses, being around them, and being around horse people. And so I, about halfway through college, I started talking about vet school, and I ended up applying to both, and fortunately was accepted by both, but I decided to go the veterinary route, and uh, that's, so that's what I did. So, so how, was, was that hard for you to make that decision, or was that pretty much, you, you knew when you applied that, that if you got accepted to veterinary school, that was where you're going, and, and med school was your backup? It was, it's hard for me to say for sure, um, because for so many years I had said I was going to be a medical doctor. Um, when I applied to both, I thought, well, I may go to both, and I interviewed for both. And I had to, unfortunately, say why I wanted to be a medical doctor to the medical schools, and I had to say why I wanted to be a veterinarian to the veterinary schools. And um, I was a little undecided right up until the point that I was accepted by both 
And then I said, I really want to be a veterinarian. And being away at college kind of opened up horizons for me. Um, I was the son of a veterinarian and had always worked in his practice. And, but I knew I didn't want to do exactly what he did. And going away to college uh, made me realize that I didn't have to do exactly what my dad did. I could do other things. And uh, so when I was applying to veterinary school and to medical school, I had it in the back of my mind that I could do either one and would probably have been happy with either one. But I'm very, very thankful that I decided on vet school. And the primary reason I decided on vet school was because I really enjoyed working with horses and being around horse people. If you could pick one thing about the horse that captured your attention, what would it be? Um, I think the beauty and athleticism of horses um, has always intrigued me. Um, I really love uh, all types of horses, all breeds of horses, and I think they're really uh, attractive um, nice animals to work with for the most part. And I, um, so their beauty and athleticism, I guess it would be um, my answer to your question. You talk in the book a lot about your father and it's great to have a good relationship with your father. What values do you think he instilled upon you that have made you who you are and made you the professional that you are? You know, my dad um, really stressed by his actions and by his life um, the quality of perseverance. And so I've always persevered. Um, And my dad was the same way. Um, Things didn't always go as I wanted. Things didn't always go as he wanted. But I knew if we, if I persevered, that I would get to where I wanted to go. So perseverance is probably the, the number one trait. That's a great rule for living. Just keep at it and you'll get there. I would like to think so. You, um, you have a great relationship with your, your lady wife, Margaret. Yes. And um, any one of us that has had the privilege of meeting her it shares your joy in um, inter- interaction. Well, thank you for saying that. Tell, tell me a little bit about how you first met and um, what made you and her such a wonderful couple. Well, uh, first of all, we got married after we had only been dating about six weeks. So I would never recommend that to my children. I would never recommend that to anyone, but for Margaret and me, it was right. Um, she was a, she still is a, a beauty. She was a beautiful young woman, and she moved to Kentucky uh, to work at, with the yearlings at the farm where I was the resident vet, and so I got to see her a lot. And um, she was attractive. She was smart. She uh, knew horses very well. 
So those were all qualities that um, were desirable for me. And uh, so there were several other veterinarians on the farm. And one of the veterinarians who worked with Margaret more than I did um, set us up and invited us to dinner at his house. And uh, that was uh, the beginning of our relationship. Um, before that, I had, had seen her f almost from a distance, but had really never gotten to know her very well. But that night uh, when we went to dinner at his house, I thought, this is the woman for me. This is who I want to marry. And, um, and we've essentially been together almost since that night. Um, we uh, um, were very compatible. Um, Margaret uh, is fairly easygoing. I'm very easygoing, um, I think. And um, so we got along very well. Um, and similar backgrounds, um, Margaret's father was an attorney, um, and he was still alive when we met. And um, so she had a lifestyle that um, she came from a lifestyle that was uh, very desirable for me. She, Margaret grew up fox hunting and uh, knew that, that sort of a, a life. And uh, so it was, I was very attracted to her for a number of reasons, uh, one of which was that her um, background was very attractive to me. Yeah. Just, just to follow up with that, how, how did you keep that relationship during busy breeding seasons? And how did you um, manage that? Because it's, it's tough. There's a lot of, you know, it's seven days a week during the springtime. You know, Margaret and I got married on February 6th, uh, 1981. Short honeymoon and, then. Yeah, short, very <laughs> short honeymoon. And it was right at the beginning of the breeding season. Yeah. And um, I was telling you yesterday, I think, when we first got married, I was so busy uh, with my work that Margaret thought, you know, he was around for a while, but then as soon as we got married, he wasn't here. And maybe he doesn't like me anymore. And um, that was not obviously not true, but I was just very involved with my work. And um, as far as... Um, any suggestions that I have for um, other people on how to uh, maintain a relationship, even though you're very dedicated to your work and very involved with your work, I would say you just have to um, communicate well. Um, and Margaret was, because of her horse background, she was very uh, aware that um, the horse's demanded a lot of my time. And um, so she was uh, good for me because I wasn't around as much as I should have been. Uh, but I, she, she understood um, what I was doing and why I was so involved with it. But one thing, I, one story I've heard about you, though, is that dinner time, you have a rule about making it home for dinner? I did. Um, Especially once we got 
had had children, um, I was I really uh, it was very important to me and to Margaret that I was home every night for dinner, and uh, that is not always easy to do, as you all can attest because. Um, our work is sometimes so demanding that it makes it difficult. But um, I decided early on um, in our marriage and our family life that I was going to always be home for dinner. And I pretty well was able to stick to that. Now, sometimes I had to leave after dinner to go back to work. And sometimes I had to take uh, phone calls and texts and emails uh, during dinner. But I was always there. And uh, I think that's so important for a family uh, to, to be able to sit down together once a day and to communicate with each other and find out what's going on in each other's lives. And uh, so I am very happy that I, it wasn't difficult for me because I really wanted to do it. And um, there are so many things about my life that have turned out well because I wanted to do that. And it was good for me to do that. And uh, so I wasn't really having to make myself go home every night for dinner. I wanted to be there. Yeah. And, and one of the byproducts of three great kids. Yeah, absolutely. I have three wonderful children. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. I actually had the privilege of working with two of them. And uh, they're a credit to you, Tom. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm so proud of them. And uh, um, all three of them uh, uh, still get along very well, still um, get along well with their parents. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm very happy that um, they still like each other and they still like Margaret and me. You've emphasized the benefits of a good relationship but there's another relationship in your life that's been very, very formative and very important. And that's your relationship with Dr. Bill Rood that led the formation of this practice. So could you tell us a little bit about your first meeting with Dr. Rood and what actually instilled in you a desire to go into business? A lot of it was luck. I would have to say that. Um, when I was at my previous job, which was a resident veterinarian at Spendthrift. Um, Dr. Rood came by Spendthrift once to visit with my boss, and that's when I first met him. And when I started to think about leaving Spendthrift, Dr. Rood was one of the people I thought about calling on because I knew that I had met him before. He knew who I was. I wasn't going to have to explain everything uh, to him. And uh, so I did call him. We got together uh, for drinks a few times and worked out a deal. And um, he and I um, got along very well. And um, I would have to say that part of it was, as I have said, luck. And part of it was the fact that he was very interested in what I did, and I was very interested in what he did. He was more interested in the business end of veterinary medicine. I was more interested in the hands-on of veterinary medicine. And so it, was, it worked out um, very well for us. 
Um, and a lot of it was just good fortune that um, I, I did talk with several other people about possibly going in with them. But um, with Dr. Rude, it just seemed like it was going to be easy. Um, we, we knew how the other thought, and we knew how um, we were going to plan on working together. So our first year, um, as you know, um, we worked out of uh, Dr. Rude's garage, and um, he was uh, very proud of, of that, but he was also ready to expand. And I really um, would have to say that when I first joined Dr. Rude, I didn't know that I really wanted to have a big hospital or a big practice. Um, but he was always um, much more interested in moving forward. And, um, and I was, so I was kind of along for the ride. Um, he, uh, uh, our first year we were in his garage and then the next year we moved to a warehouse type office on uh, Nandino Boulevard, uh, just around the corner from where we are now. And uh, we were really happy there and really thought that this, this was our home. This is where we were going to be for a while. We had a big open house and invited all our clients and, uh, you know, very small space, but we really thought we had arrived. And, um, and then uh, things continued to grow, and we talked about um, possibly building a facility. Um, and so that we started looking for land, and uh, we were both looking. And as a veterinarian, you have many opportunities, as you know, to um, drive around the countryside, and, and you see places for sale, et cetera. And so we, I saw this place on Georgetown Road, and uh, it was uh, 206 acres, and we, I knew that we could nowhere near for, afford 206 acres. But I called the, the sellers, and the property had been for sale for a while, and they agreed to carve off a chunk of that property for us. So we ended up with 24 acres, and uh, that's when we broke ground, um, July of 1985. And um, it was—we were so fortunate because we, we hired a, uh, an architect that had experience working with another practice, veterinary practice, and so he was familiar with—somewhat familiar with what we wanted to do— and we hired a contractor that um, really listened to us, and he um, understood that we definitely needed to be in our facility generating income in six months. And so we put a, a stipulation in our contract with him that if we were not operational, within six months, that he was going to owe us more money. Um, we would pay him less money. And uh, he really came through. He, uh, um, uh, so we were 
we broke ground, as I said, in July, and we were in the property, in our facility, uh, ready to go um, in February of the following year. And the rest uh, is some is history. Um, we hired. We went. We were looking for a surgeon at the time, and um, we uh, interviewed a lot of people. And a lot of people were hesitant to say, "We want to go to Kentucky." to work for these two young guys who um, didn't really know for sure what they were going to do. Uh, But we had a lot of dreams. And so we, I called Rolf Embertson and I went to Ohio state um, to a short course and, and talked with him there. And I was really impressed with him. And fortunately um, Rolf said, yeah, I, I think that my wife and I might want to move to Kentucky and, and that might fit our plans very well. And um, so thankful that he decided to join us. Um, he is a, a wonderful surgeon and a wonderful person and uh, has meant so much to our practice because he um, is concerned about every single aspect of it. And, well, and I think that's one of the one of the ways the two of you complement each other so well because when I think about meticulous, you you fit into that too, and and, and high quality, and that's one of the things I learned from you was was to slow down, take your time, do things right, and and the same with Rolf. He's always been Dr. Emerson's always been very particular about that. Yeah, yeah, he has, and and uh, so I appreciate your saying that. Um, it's uh, uh, I do I do have a question. Were, were you practicing out of the El Camino at the time? Um, when I first joined uh, Dr. Rood, I was working out of my El Camino, which I had gotten. Uh, do do I, we have pictures of that? No, I don't think we have any pictures of it. But uh, it was, uh, uh, it felt like a boat <laughs> driving around. Um, but I was, uh, I inherited that. I didn't inherit it. I bought it from Spendthrift. Uh, because that had been the vehicle that the number two vet on the farm dr- always drove. And uh, so I got that uh, when I left the farm. And um, so when I first was working with Dr. Rood, I drove the El Camino with the buoy unit on the back and uh, and didn't know any better. I thought I was fine. Yeah, if we had a, if we had a Rood and Riddle museum, <laughs> yeah, that, that would be article number one. The, the second one was Dr. Rood's... Uh, First ultrasound that was yeah, about as big as this table. That's right. Oh but both of those would be collector's items right now. They would be, oh they'd, be they'd be under glass. There would actually be a security <laughs> system around there, the little laser light on there. <laughs> they would actually be hallowed pieces of equipment. Uh, you're you're right. You're right. Yeah. There's this wonderful picture of you and Dr. Rood um, standing together, uh, plans in hand, and some construction going on behind. And if you remember that picture, what were you thinking about at that moment? And did you ever envision that that building would morph into what we see today? The answer has to be no. I never envisioned that. Um, what I was thinking about at the time is probably um, here we are, we're going to do this. And I really 
neither Dr. Rude nor I was ever very worried about uh, the future. We just thought if we do things right, things are going to turn out for us. And uh, that's the way it has worked. So we have been very, very fortunate in that regard. Um, I never um, realized that uh, Rudin Riddle would have the impact that it has had. Um, as I said earlier, I really wasn't so sure that I wanted to um, have a large practice. I knew I just wanted to work on broodmares. But things happened and provide the best service to my clients. Um, we needed to hire veterinarians that could provide that service. And uh, so we were very, very, very fortunate uh, with that. For those of us looking at um, your uh, history and practice, you've actually seen some very important things happen in the thoroughbred industry in this town. And around the time you first started, uh, there were some major disease outbreaks. Would you like to talk a little bit about those? You know, the, my first year in Kentucky, uh, when I was still at Spendthrift, we had uh, contagious equine metritis. There were two stallions that uh, were imported from France. Uh, one went to Spendthrift and one went to another farm. And in spite of... Uh, Assurances from their handlers, et cetera, in France, they brought the disease with them. And uh, so it was a very challenging time. Um, I think it, it really hit home for me, looking back on it, that there was a moratorium on breeding. And in, in March, which we all know is a very heavy breeding time, um, there were two weeks that no mares were bred, period, in central Kentucky. So that was really dramatic. And um, it was uh, so interesting for me because I was a young vet um, at Spendthrift at the time and uh, got to witness firsthand how such a uh, disease was managed and handled. Um, Dr. Witherspoon uh, was a very serious person and um, was a very much a pessimist uh, about so many things, but he realized that um, he needed to call on outside expertise, and he was very, very good at that. Um, if he needed somebody anywhere in the world to come in and offer him advice, he was quite happy to call on them. And that was a wonderful lesson for me and that I carried with me throughout my life. Um, but Dr. Witherspoon um, called on um, several people to help with that crisis. And uh, he was very open to suggestions from other people about how to manage that crisis. And um, we got, we identified the organism working with the University of Kentucky Diagnostic Lab. We identified the organism that caused the problem, and no one had ever done that before. And um, then we were able to uh, figure out ways to successfully treat it. And uh, that was a really good model for me to look back on when we had Mary Reproductive Loss Syndrome 
because I um, knew that we were going to find the answer. We just had to be diligent, had to call on enough expertise uh, from other people, and um, we found an answer for that. So um, over the years, there have been multiple, many, many crises, crises um, with the horse industry, um, contagious equine metritis, equine viral arteritis um, were two that happened fairly early in my career. And um, it was interesting to deal with those and know that um, we could uh, scientifically figure out what was going on and we could scientifically um, deal with those problems. And uh, so it was a very exciting time, um, and as my whole career has been, as you all know, um, as your careers have been too, um, you run into problems and, and you um, deal with them. You tackle them, and you don't throw up your hands and say, no, I'm never going to do this. Um, you figure out a way to make it work, and that's what we did. I think you have um, crystallized it pretty well in that um, there's a lot of cooperation involved in getting to the bottom of those problems. And it was a case of bringing in experts from other places to actually apply their knowledge to practice. What do you think we learned as a profession in those situations? And how does that help us going forward today? I think that um, the, um, there are many lessons that, were, that we learned at that time and throughout my career when we have dealt with um, crises like contagious equine metritis. Um, we know that um, we need to look at the science of the problem and we need to um, figure out a way to properly manage that. And it's so important um, that we all work together. Um, and this is a time... Uh, when you have a crisis like that, it's not a time to hide anything and to um, be protective about what you are seeing or doing. Uh, it's, a, a, it's a time that you want to share information with others and you all come together um, to find a solution to the problem. This podcast is targeted at a wide audience, a wide veterinary audience. Looking back on the things that you've seen in your career and what you see now, what do you see going forward for the veterinary profession? And what are the things that you tell somebody that was like you once upon a time, deciding on what their career was going to be? It was going to have a medical bent, but they had to decide between human and veterinary medicine. What would you say to somebody that was aspiring to be an equine practitioner? What do you think the future holds? Um, an excellent question. Um, I think that um, it's, for me, I, with veterinary medicine and equine veterinary medicine, uh, with my interest in mares, I think that um, we're going to learn so much more about pregnancies and, and identifying problems with them 
and how to maintain the pregnancy and how to maintain a healthy pregnancy. Um, so I, I think that, um, selfishly speaking, um, that's, that's what I'm excited about. Um, there are so many things that um, were not available when I first went into practice, such as ultrasound. And uh, the use of ultrasound has revolutionized um, medicine, period, um, both human and veterinary medicine. Um, and uh, so other diagnostics like that, I'm sure, are going to uh, be developed that um, we don't have now, but we will have in the future um, and will uh, allow us to diagnose problems that we right now we just scratch our heads on. You talk in your book a lot about relationships between veterinarians and you mention a lot about your relationships with clients. How do you think that relationship is going to evolve over time between the veterinarians and the clients? And what do you think we can better do to meet the needs of the clients going forward? Um, I think that one of the reasons that uh, Rudin Riddle has been successful is that we have always stressed um, good communication with our clients. And um, I haven't really noticed that there has been that much change in the way we interact with our clients from our very early days. Everyone um, it should be very concerned about the health of the horse. And um, so I think that when working with clients, um, everyone should know that the, we have the best interest of the horse in mind. And um, you ask about um, veterinary students or, or students when they are trying to decide whether to go, uh, what route to take uh, in their life. Um, I think that um, fortunately there are, are different strokes for different folks. And um, I think that veterinary medicine um, offers many opportunities for um, combining your interest in science with your interest in animals. And um, so I think that uh, uh, it offers an awful lot. There, that's not to say that people who decide to work on people or want to go into research, for example, um, aren't um, going to be fulfilled. Uh, it all amounts to um, everybody needs to decide what they're passionate about and hopefully they'll able to, they're able to um, pursue that with their career. Doctor, what, what inspired you to write the book? Is that something you've had in mind for a while or? Um, I, over the years of practice, um, several people have asked, um, for my recommendation for a book to read that would help them understand what we were doing with our, our breeding farm practice. And there really wasn't one. And so I thought, 
maybe I'll just write something myself. And that's what I did. And um, there were several other ideas that I had in mind. Um, as a, a father, I wanted to um, be able to impart to my children uh, some of the uh, family history, uh, which I hopefully uh, did in the book, and some of my values, which I hopefully uh, did in the book. Um, but it was, I've been so blessed with my uh, career, and uh, it was a real pleasure for me to, to put down on paper um, some of the um, things that have happened to me along the way. You did a nice job. It's, it's, a, it's a good, easy read, and um, I'd recommend it to, to, to everyone. Where, where can folks get, get the book? Um, the book is available through Rudmittal Veterinary Pharmacy. So if you call 859-246-0112, or you can go to rrvp.com and order the book. And uh, if you want to pay a little extra, um, I'm happy to sign the book, and I'm happy to personalize it. So just let me know or let the pharmacy know when you order the book that you want it personalized, and I'll be happy to do so. And, and the proceeds for the book? The proceeds for the book um, go to two foundations. Uh, one, the Foundation for the Horse, which is AAP's charitable arm, and the other goes to the Theriogenology Foundation, which is the uh, foundation that uh, works for veterinarians who are interested in the reproduction of animals. You mentioned earlier about doing something you're passionate about, and all of us in this practice uh, that have uh, seen you work marvel at how you've maintained your level of interest and drive to succeed and, yeah, I have to say, passion for what you do in each and every mare. How do you maintain that? You know, it's not something that I really have to work at. Um, I really um, enjoy it. Um, it's not something I've had to, um, say, pursue uh, because it's really just what I enjoy. And I always say that um, people may question my intellect because I don't really want to do much of anything other than what I've done. Um, they may say, you know, doesn't this get boring to you? No, it doesn't get boring to me. And it's just, as I mentioned in the book, um, and talking about a, a veterinarian who uh, did colic surgeries, um, everyone, uh, every colic surgery for this particular veterinarian was an opportunity to find something new. And uh, I really have uh, fortunately um, found the same thing with mere reproduction. I really enjoy that, and I'm always um, able to find something new with what I'm doing. All of us, including myself, have found you very generous with your knowledge. What, what do, importance do you place on mentorship? I think it's, it's very important to uh, share with uh, younger people, if they want, um, why you do the things you do and um, why you um, have uh, followed the path that you've followed, uh, why you um, 
perform some of the services that you perform. Um, I think that um, um, mentoring younger people has really been um, a passion for me, and it has allowed me to um, grow as a, a person and as a veterinarian because when you explain something to someone, and everybody knows this, uh, so I, I'm not uh, claiming any sort of uh, uh, new revelation for you, but when you explain something to someone, um, it uh, becomes more apparent to you uh, why you're doing that and, and what you're doing. So um, I, I, I think that uh, I'm benefited as well as um, the other people. I think we're all much richer for having the uh, the wisdom of your comments and the, the benefit of your experience. Th- this really has been fantastic. Well, it's, so. it's great to get the just just to have you sit down here and just get your insight on stuff and just have you just talk. Yeah, you know? no, I agree. Yeah, it's this has been good. This this is the longest I've ever seen you be able to talk uninhibited, <laughs> and it's just great to see what's going. You know, just a, a window into what what drives you. Well, thank you. So. So thankful to be here.